0: Welcome this morning. It is part of the service and to this little family meeting. I think, I mean, I don't. We miss the people who aren't here, and we don't wish it to be like this all the time. But in in one sense, it's like a little family meeting. It is in in one sense, it's a little special. Not that we want it to be special all the time, but um, it is different and maybe according to the testimony, maybe there's a thing like a little more um freedom or openness to speak as it's smaller but, um, I thank God for the first message there Joshua and teaching us guiding us to the word of God, which is but well, we just read about it, uh, the Word of God, is, uh sang about it rather, It's precious and his guidance. And since in I know in Germany they actually call the church a prayer house, so uh, if you can, why don't we just stand for a word of prayer before we go on. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to you for your love and your mercy, for your word, for your comfort, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that uh, there's an anchor for our souls. And Lord, that uh, that you have in, exhorted us in song, that we should consider our number, our days, our days are numbered. And Lord, we just thank you for all you are and what you have done for us. We just pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning. Give us alert minds. Give us hearts that are open. Give us a, a, yeah, a will, Lord, that seeks after you and to see what you have for us this morning. We also pray for those who are on the day trip today and pray for their blessing, that you would bless them and use them and also uh, give them safety in their travels. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. There was once a wealthy man who owned a vineyard and a garden. He had a caretaker that took care of his farm for him. And one day he called his caretaker and said, I'm gonna go away on a trip and I want you to keep the farm going the way I've told you to go to keep it. I'm going and I don't know when I'm gonna be back, but I will be back. And you don't know when I'm coming back, but I will be coming back, but I want you to keep My farm, my orchard, my vineyard in good shape. I've trained you. I want you to keep it clean. I want to keep it, keep it productive. I want you to keep it. His caretaker from then on spent most of the time in that garden, in that farm. He, he manicured Every tree, every plant, he kept down the weeds and he um, protected from the insects and from the mold and from the fungus and from the blight and the spotted lanternfly, protected it, kept it good. He repaired the trees when it stormed. It was a beautiful garden. In fact, it was the talk of the neighborhood. This beautiful, beautiful farm, vineyard, garden was the talk of the neighborhood. One day a stranger came by and he said, hey, he said, you got a really nice orchard here. You really got a nice farm here." He said, yours? He said, no, it's, I'm a caretaker for it. And my, the owner's gone away on a long trip, and he's coming back. I don't know when he's coming back, but he's coming back. Well, when's he coming? I have no idea. How long is he going to be gone? I don't know. Well, he said, the way you keep this garden, you might, use. it seems like you expect him to come back tomorrow. He said, oh, no, no, I expect him back today. Well, what do we see in that little story? Well, I see a lot of things. As I think of that caretaker, I, I thought of a lot of things. I see there. I see diligence. This man was not lazy, was he? he was not lazy. He um, he was industrious and he was motivated. He also I also see preciseness and carefulness, as he his job was done correctly. You know, if it's if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. That's what he had, and you see dedication. He kept at it. He was going to go until it was done. And you see obedience. He was given the charge, keep it, and he was doing it. He was had obedience. But what is the root of all of that? You think. What do you think is behind? Uh, diligence, and dedication, and carefulness, and obedience. What is the foundational reason, do you think, behind all that? Well, I see a caretaker, a servant, that loved his master. For some reason, he thought very highly of him. There was no animosity in his relationship, you know, and how can you tell? Well, there was no, uh there was no resentment. He was not looking to get out of the charge. In fact, he performed his duties with such eagerness is all his energies. He spent most of his time in it. It could see that it was, it was a motivation to do his best. And he was not doing it for himself, but for his, master. I once saw an ad ad campaign. You know, I drive a lot. I see these ads and so on. And there was an ad campaign that was going on some years ago that said something like this. Turn your passion into a career. And the idea was, is that that passion that you have in life, that thing that you love to do, will get some schooling, get some training, get a degree, and then work in it. Whether it be, um, well, in this case it was criminal justice of the culinary arts, cooking. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't know what for loves and desires and and ambition you had as a child or as a young person, whether how many of you put that into your livelihood. Uh, I didn't particularly. Did you ever see an ingredient label? Uh, None of you read ingredient labels. I forgot about that. Only I do. Um, You see... Ingredient label, and it has a list of ingredients. It also has, also has, as one of the ingredients, it's made with love. Usually it's gourmet food or organic food. And the concept they want to communicate is that our product is better than the other product. That's a lot like it because we love and we believe in what we're doing. And if you love what you're doing, and if you believe in what you're doing, you're going to. You're you're never going to produce a substandard product, or even mediocre mediocre product. It's going to be the best possible, because your passion and your love is in it. It's made with love. The question I want all of us to consider this morning is this, and this is for everyone in the room, whether the youngest believer or the most mature person here is, do I love God? Do I love God? Am I devoted to his kingdom? I just think of the servant there. Am I devoted to his him and his kingdom? Is my service for him the very best I can give because of my adoration for him? Am I very careful to understand his will and purpose so I can best represent and glorify him, who is the love of my heart? Or is it the contrary? Do I do the things that I do out of duty, a slipshod job, looking for loopholes, wanting the benefits of my boss but not wanting the work? Now, just imagine if, if, if the gardener, if the caretaker has that attitude, what that garden looks like, if you have an attitude like that. I want you to turn to 2nd uh, Samuel. And we'll look at an example of a dedication to a master. In this case to a king. 2nd Samuel chapter 15. And we'll start reading at verse 17. This is when Absalom's, Absalom's rebellion was taking was incomplete. The rebellion was in its max, and David had been chased from his palace by his rebellious son. David is extremely vulnerable at this time, and the fut- his future and his life was uncertain, to put it mildly. So we'll start reading here in verse 17. And the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed beside him and all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the Gittites. Six hundred men which came after him from Gath passed on before the king. Then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou with us? also with us. Return to thy place and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us? Seeing I go whither I may, return thou and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. And David said to Itai, Go and pass over. And Itai the Gittite passed over, and all his men, and all the little ones that were with him. The Gittites from Gath. Who were they? We heard a little bit about Goliath this morning, didn't we? Well, they were Philistines. Now, the Philistines from Gath knew who David was, right? And I don't even have to ask the question, can anyone tell me why? Now, since David was an enemy of their people, of the the Gittites, Why would they want to be with David? Especially in such difficult times. Well, they had, they knew David. The Gittites from Gath knew David. They remembered David when he went after Goliath. They saw a young, fearless, faith-filled man that did the impossible but why did he do the impossible? Because of his faith in his God, and they saw that. Then I don't know why. Well, yeah, he went down to the. Well, I don't know. He went. Did he go to Philistine? He went to, the, to the other country. I forget exactly right now. But they saw David how he handled himself with Saul. They understood some of that. The news goes out, so they understand that. And then they saw David as king and how he fought his battles. And they said, this is the man we want to follow and serve. We are convinced and we're sold out. This is the king that we want to give our first and only allegiance to. And then they defected from the Philistines. They were warriors. They defected from the Philistines, from the army, and they came to Israel for the very purpose to be loyal and to serve David and his God. In, in, in this context, they were like recent converts. They were recent proselytes to the Jewish religions. They were new in the faith. And so quickly, so soon, they come, after they come to David to serve him, David is no longer king. He's chased out. Now itai was the leader of these men, so David said to him that it might be better for them if him and his group, if they would just go back to Jerusalem and be faithful to Absalom his son, because the future of israel, apparently david's evaluation, the future of Israel was probably more sure with them, so here is these Recent people that come, came over to Jews, to the, to the Jewish religion, to the, to the Israelites. And David cared about them. So he said, no, you just go. It's more secure there in Jerusalem. Don't come out with us. We're gonna, we don't even know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. You are new. You just came yesterday. Just go back. But they were not fair-weather friends. Their love and commitment was much deeper than a national rebellion. They had not defected to Israel to support a rebellion. They came because of David and his God. See, these Gittites from Gath, they grew up from little on as as Philistines. They ate Philistine food. They sang Philistine songs. They worshiped Philistine gods. Palestine, I don't know if Palestine is the Philistine homeland or not. Today it is. (laughs) Palestine was their home and their culture and their people and their language. But sometime and somehow their hearts were awakened to the reality of the bankruptness of their own culture And the uh, greatness of the God of Israel, which happened first, the bankruptness of their own culture or the greatness of the God of Israel, we don't know what happened first. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. But it did happen. And like the Queen of Sheba, their breath was taken away as they recognized the mighty kingdom, David's kingdom, and all it entails, all the worship, all the laws, the the king and his and the devotion that he had, and and it caused them to desire it, and and when that desire, it caused them to make radical change in their lives. They left their own people and came to David. And they are so devoted to David that even though David invites them to leave, they, they won't leave. They're de- devoted to David. <clears throat> Jesus did that too one time. And I'll just read a few verses in uh, John chapter 6. Um, Jesus had been telling them, except you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you, 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 can't, you can't have a part of me. And, and he said some really hard things. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye go also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, so Jesus asked his chosen disciples this question, will you leave me too? It's not a command to leave, but it looks like the door was left open and it's unguarded. Will you leave me too? Peter is the spokesperson, and he answered, well, Where would we go? There's no place to go. You are the only one, and there is no other. So, okay, right now it's a little difficult, but you're the one. There are no other options. So, praise God for all the people who have defected from the devil These are people who sang the devil's songs, they ate and drank the devil's food and drink, they spoke the devil's language, they worshipped with the devil's people in whatever format that was, whether they were rebels in the church or unbelievers in the community, but sometime, somehow, their hearts were awakened to their own bankrupt culture and the greatness of the true God of the universe. And they repented of their sins. And they believed in the Savior. And they shifted their allegiance completely from the devil to God. And their lives, slash, our lives changed. We are now with God and with the people of God. Praise the Lord for all who see the Lord Jesus Christ in his excellency and in his majesty like those Gittites saw in David. We see in our Lord Jesus Christ and praise God for those who are completely convinced and come to him with a true change of heart. Two things I want to consider As we go through, the first one is is a lot more brief. But the first one is a challenge. It's a challenge for, for any of us. If you have never left the Philistines and came to Israel, if you have never made an entire change of allegiance and life, if you only watched Israel from afar but didn't forsake all, to go and follow him. The Bible is clear. You do not belong to the people of God. You are not a disciple, and you cannot be called a Christian. That's hard, but let's, let's look here. Turn to Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 14. going to start here at 25 and there went great multitudes with him now here's i'm going to stop here multitudes went with jesus multitudes were with Jesus. They went with him. They walked with him. But I have a question. Who was really with Jesus? Because you have to think. Multitudes were with Jesus. But who was really with Jesus? Not the multitudes. Because today we can hear a lot about salvation. We can hear about salvation being free. We can hear about Jesus paid it all. We can hear faith alone, it's not of works, just believe, accept Jesus as your Savior. And the classic one, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. All that is true. In part, it is. There's elements of truth. And the masses can generally embrace that. Jesus is not after the masses. So the multitudes came and followed him, and he, Jesus, turned and said unto them, the multitude, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That actually sounds like what the Gittites of Gath did they forsook all to come to israel if they would ever be captured by their former people that they defected from they would be killed as traitors <clears throat> when they made the decision to go when they made the decision that we're 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 philistines but we are we're going to forsake this, and we're going to go over there. It was an irreversible decision for them. There was no going back. And they did leave their fathers and their mothers and their lands and everything back there. They left it. They did it. It was gone. And with a question you have to ask, why? Why did they do that? Because of what they were getting. They were willing to to forsake and that's the christian life what do you get whatever we would hang on to is not worth hanging on to because of the value like the pearl of great price that's in the field where a man sold all that he had because this was of more value than anything else that he could even possibly imagine So, and if we just read down here, verse 28, for which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counted the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, but not able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, siteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassy and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That is a biblical reality and so when i say if you haven't forsaken all to follow him you can't be a disciple and you can't be a christian it is absolutely biblical and we would be um, a disservice to god and to his word to say otherwise and so the first question for us is have you forsaken all all that pertains to the devil? all the lust of the flesh, all the lust of the eye, all the pride of life, all the sin and all the appearance of evil, and have you embraced and followed the Lord with your entire heart. So that's the first one. The second one here is the main main purpose of the message. As a Christian, having repented of your sins and entrusted Jesus with your entire being, Having done that, maybe years ago, the question is now, how is your garden doing? How is your orchard doing? How's the farm doing? Isn't that what they used to say like years ago when you meet somebody? How's the farm doing? That's a good question to ask us today. What does your vineyard look like now? How's the garden of your relationship with God this morning? Is it lovingly and carefully tended? Are you, because of your belief in his worthiness and his majesty, giving your life to the charge that he has personally given to you? You Now, each of us have been, you have your generic charge, and then we have specific charges. Whether your generic charge or your specific charge Have you, because you love God, given your everything, spent your time in that charge? Do you carefully trim the weeds around the pathway he's going to walk on when he returns because you want his approving smile? Are the vines carefully pruned, tied up, because he's worthy Mm -hmm. of the most fruit possible And there's the question. Do I love God? Am I devoted to his kingdom? Is my service for him the absolute best I can give because of my adoration to him? Am I incredibly careful to understand his will so I can best represent and glorify him? The love of my heart. Well, maybe we did at the beginning. But the way has become become long and it didn't go as you expected. By the way, it didn't go as I expected. (laughs) A storm came through and brought significant disorder to your garden. Now it's a lot more work, unexpected work, and it doesn't even look nice. It's more work and yet it looks worse. It is pretty, pretty discouraging. It was unexpected, and it's discouraging. Now, how do you think Itai and his men felt when David was chased from the throne? You know, when they were back in their own land in the Philistine, when they were in the Philistine land and culture and army and everything, they they had a discussion. They thought, "This was not an once done thing they had some discussion they they thought we're going to go over to david and and they they finally defected and they came with certain expectations they had some expectations of what it's going to be like when they came to israel and they served david and very soon this was not what we expected david Chased from his throne, not by an enemy, but by his own son? We weren't expecting. In fact, it never even entered our mind that this would happen. So they came with these expectations, but they were not fulfilled. What could have prepared them for that shock? Well, what brought them faithfully through is what will bring us faithfully through. Their commitment was not to David because of his wealth or because of his success. and not even because he was king. But they didn't come for an easier life. If their their motives would have been inferior, they would have at that point have deserted David. But they came because of David's wisdom and because of his inherent goodness, because of the faith that he had in his God, because of that zeal and that devotion and that courage. They came because of David's character and his God. And though David was chased from the throne and he was no longer king, all those essential things were still intact. The essential things about David, the reason they came, were still there. His fortune and his circumstances changed, but his essential character did not. So yes, it was a test for the Gittites. But when they looked at what they came for, they followed through with that. Their faith was firm because of the object of their faith. That's how it is for us. When we sold out to God and defected from the devil, and Colossians 1.3 says, when God delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, We also had expectations. When we became a Christian, we had expectations. We we did. We had an idea of what was going to unfold. However, life has unfolded before us in ways we did not expect. In fact, we could not even have imagined some of the things we would encounter in our journey. In fact, sometimes it's not the devil's tactics out there that dismay us. Often it's the very things that happened within a fellowship of believers. That is the most difficult for many of us. In fact, that is the most difficult for some. At times we are made to feel guilty when there is trouble in the church. These are the people of God. These, this should not be happening. Now, sometimes we have troubles. <laughs> we bring trouble onto ourselves. That's, 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 we, we do that. But we have no promise from God. That there will not be difficulty among God's people. I know, Eldon. One time you had a message. Was one time? I think it was you. Somebody did anyhow. But what God has promised and what He didn't promise? God never promised that there wouldn't be trouble among God's people. Is that true? I think that's true. Okay. In fact, it is to be expected, and it's so frequently in Scripture, on some level, that it can almost be expected. <laughs> Not normal? Well, depending depending on some level. There's always things to work through on some level. Most of the New, Epi- New Testament epistles deal with problems inside the church. Obviously, there were things outside the church to deal with too, but there were things. I spoke recently to one brother after a meeting that we had here, something like this. Kind of word for word, but he said, the church is to be a light in a dark world. And we would expect the world to trouble us and try to put out the light of the church. We would expect that. But trouble amongst ourselves, how can we be a light to the world when we have problems among ourselves? Doesn't that trouble among ourselves dim our light? No, not necessarily. In human relationships, there will be trouble, Christian or not. It's when we really walk in the grace of God in those difficulties, when we respond to each other graciously when we disagree, when we treat each other with respect, when we refuse to slander and gossip, when we bless each other and pray for one another, and refuse to curse each other. When we remember the good in each other, even as we interact with differences. I know there is a time to be firm and hard. Paul told Titus to rebuke the Cretans Cretans sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and quit talking about fables. But the normal method Paul uses when when he talks to the people of God, the normal method that he uses when he desires change is this. I beseech thee. I implore thee. I beg of you. Why did he do that? Because he was after their heart, not just a change of behavior. So how is the church a light in this world? Not the fact that it does not have any trouble within the four walls of the church. But the church, she is a light to the world by how she responds and works through those troubles that she encounters. In difficult relationships, how do you treat someone that you disagree with? The world needs a light in that area. And we can be a light in that area. Our ability to love God and other people is one of the ways God made us that, rese- made us that resemble him. See, love is deep and love is personal. For example, a government dictator can force people to do what he says. They can force them to obey him, but he cannot force them to love him. You cannot do that. Likewise, the contrary is also true. If someone deeply loves someone else, no circumstances and no one can force that person to give up that love. Which means, if you no longer love someone in the congregation, guess who made that choice? It's like the boy in Lebanon that once told me after I restricted his behavior in some way, he told me right to my face, You make me so mad. And I told him that statement is not true. (laughs) I told him I didn't make him mad. I told him that nobody can make me mad. And nobody can make him mad. We choose to allow or get mad. We choose that. Now I understand there are circumstances that there is circumstances that propel us. I understand that. I'm not I'm not denying that. There are things around us, but you choose to get or allow yourself to get mad. Likewise, no one can make you love or make you stop loving. Like I said, circumstances pull us one way or the other. Some people are more lovable than others. Okay. Other people are responsive. But the ultimate decision is still ours. Back to the garden. Maybe you as a gardener had a wonderful year. The winter did not have any severe ice storms, and there were no blizzards that damaged the trees. The spring had no late frost that cut off the blossoms. The summer was blessed with abundant rain and no major heat waves. And the autumn. Was gorgeous. And fruitful. You kept the garden. Faithfully. And it was stunning. Like you would go to Longwick gardens. It's just stunning. The next year. It's just the opposite. You get some horrendous ice storms. You have late frost. That destroyed. The budding flowers in your orchard then there comes with a hot hot dry summer and the yield that f- fall was sparse it was small it was deformed your expectations and your desires are dashed as you look over the blighted flora it's anything but beautiful all that hard work and this is what i have to show for it And the temptation exists for some serious discouragement. Why did he give me such a hard job? Surely he knew it was too much for me. My expectations have not been met. I am disappointed. No one comes around and praises me for the nice garden. There is no beautiful garden. There are three musts that hold us back there are three musts that hold us back from a fruitful and a joyful life and these are absolutes I think you can discuss it maybe I must do well you must treat me well and the world must be easy well you had a bad year you didn't do well. At least the work that you have to show is not well. And the worst of the world is relationships. But the question I have. What does the success of the garden have to do with the love and the devotion of the gardener to his master? It has nothing Now, the gardener can always say, oh, I should have used, I should have covered the plants with this cloth rather than this muslin and maybe would have had a better effect and not have as much frost in that late frost. It might have been better if I would have trimmed the trees back a little more before they had those storms. There's always room for I could have done things differently. There's always things we can take before the Lord. But our love for our Lord does not need to diminish if we do not meet our expectations. You see, once the focus shifts from the master and his great characteristics, his majesty, once it shifts from there, And it shifts to my success or my work or my surroundings, my environment, my experience. It shifts from that to this. That's when we began to pity ourselves, when things go hard. It's then when we begin to lose our joy. We lose our joy in the work that God has given to us. And then the garden suffers because of that. Not because of the weather, but because of what's going on in our heart. And then it's, like I said, yeah, then it's because of me and my response to the circumstances and not the circumstances itself. You see, we make the choice. It's not God's fault. It's not other people's faults. It's not the fault of circumstances when you shift your focus away from God and to other things and lose your joy. Like Peter, like we heard this morning, Peter took his focus off of Christ and put it on the waves. And he lost his joy really quick, (laughs) did he not? But that's pretty hard because we have real circumstances. Well, I want to just give some encouragement here at the end. You can turn to Psalms 103. We want to praise God that he is a gracious God. We have failed. I have failed so many times, but we have a God who understands. That doesn't change the fact. It is our choice and if we lose our focus on the Lord, it's going to be the consequences. It, it's going to happen. But here, here's some encouragement for us. Psalms 103, I'm going to start reading at verse 8. We could read the whole, the whole chapter, but the, the focus is there starting at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are Dust. I could just stop there. What I want us to, to remember here that wherever wherever we find ourselves this morning, whether we have found ourselves like that gardener and we are in love and we are taking care of the charge we've been given to us with devotion or whether we have been discouraged or whether we've been neglectful, this is the Lord. He He knows our frame. Now, you have to understand, the Father pitied his children, the, the Lord pitieth them that fear him. There is conditions in this. There is conditions in here. You will be pitied by the Lord, but there are conditions for that pity. But here we are as God's people. We can, we can have the Lord's pity, and we can have his mercy. Our sins are forgiven. He's removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, which so far they've never found where the two meet. (laughs) You know where the North Pole is. You know where the South Pole is. Where's the East Pole? Where's the West Pole? There is none. There's no East or West Pole. So that's how far. It's infinitely far removed from us. So He has not dealt with us after our sins. So my goal this morning is for each of us to examine our garden. Are you in the king's garden? Are you in it, first of all? Are you one of his disciples, like we talked about? Then, is that garden lovingly tended? Do your labor daily in it, with an eye for his return. Today, he might come back. Today might be the last day I can work in this garden to get it as beautiful as possible for him. Whether he returns or whether we die, we never know. But are you very careful to keep it the way your garden, fulfilling the responsibilities, the work, the labor? Careful to keep it in the way you know he has instructed you. And the way that he desires it to be. Or is your garden neglected because of your cold heart? Or other business comes first. And then when you find time, you hash at some weeds and you cut off some of the overgrown limbs on some of the fruit trees. That experience is simply a frustration because it's a duty and it's not done out of love for the master and it's not pretty. So young people, can you say with David, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. And I appreciate what was said this morning about that, that you can meditate on the word, but you can't think about it all the time, all the day long. But it goes with you and it becomes part of your life. Older men and women, are you performing your responsibilities out of duty? Or is your charge the passion of your life? Was it ever the passion of your life? Was it ever more than just a performance because it's just the right thing to do? When was the last time you saw the love and majesty and holiness of God, and you were convinced he is the one worthy to serve, and there is no other? Therefore, you defected, and as he promised, he receives you. And now is that garden that he gave you lovingly tended. So do you love him? You want to please him. Your greatest tragedy is when a miscut is made that mars the beauty of the garden, in which case everything you can possibly do is done to correct it. Just like no one can force, no one can separate us from the love of God, no one can, neither can anyone force us to give up our love for our God. But we can lose it, as he stated there in the church at Ephesus. So I have one more statement here. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Accepting hardships as the pathway of peace. Taking as he did, the Lord Jesus, this sinful world as it is. Not as I would have it trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. May God bless you. The title of this message is Done in Love for God. Is everything you do done in love for your God? May God bless you.